0: Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cusino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're having a great week. Remember last week we talked through a few different things. We talked through Paul's first missionary journey and how he wrote the book of Galatians. After his first journey, it was most likely the first letter that he wrote. And then we talked about how the apostles held what's known as the Jerusalem Council to discuss what it looks like to be saved and specifically what it looks like for Gentiles, non-Jewish people, to be saved. And remember they said that we are saved by faith alone. But the apostles encouraged Gentile believers to be aware of their witness to Jewish people and to not unnecessarily offend them, to not ruin their gospel witness. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, make sure you go back and do that. That was from last week. But this week, We are reading Acts chapter 17 through 21, and we're going to get into Paul's second and third missionary journeys. Remember, he took three main missionary journeys. Now, his second journey starts in Acts chapter 16. I know we read that last week, but we never really got into it. Never really covered it. So, we'll start there. We'll start with Acts chapter 16. And remember at this point, like we talked about last week briefly, at this point, Paul and Barnabas have split. Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark along on this journey again but Paul says no. Paul says no because John Mark had kind of abandoned them on their first journey. Well, Barnabas is Mark's cousin. So Barnabas and Mark end up going on their own journey. And then Paul takes Silas. So now Paul and Silas are a team for this second missionary journey. And Paul and Silas start their journey by visiting a couple different cities. They visit Derby and Lystra and some of the same cities where Paul went on his first journey. And in Lystra, they meet a young disciple there by the name of Timothy. And scripture says that Timothy is well spoken of by other believers in the area. So Timothy is already a believer by this time that Paul meets him. But it's likely that Timothy and his family came to know Christ through Paul's efforts On his first missionary journey. Now, whether it was Paul himself who shared the gospel with with him and his family, we don't know. But through Paul's efforts during his first missionary journey, Timothy and his family likely became saved. So it says that Paul wants to take Timothy with him on this journey to accompany him. And what I want you to see here is that Paul always has other people around him that he's investing in. And that's really what discipleship is all about. It's not just about adding more meetings to your life. It's about inviting people into the life that you already have. Paul is saying here, I'm already going on this missionary journey. Why not bring somebody else that I can invest in? And Timothy eventually becomes a very close companion of Paul. Their relationship becomes almost like a father-son relationship. You're especially going to see that in the letter of 2 Timothy, which was written not long before Paul died. And Timothy eventually becomes a leader in the church in Ephesus. But we're not just here to learn interesting facts, right? We want to apply this to our lives. So I would challenge you to consider who can you invite into your life and begin investing in life on life. Discipleship is where real transformation happens. When you share life together, when somebody can come into your life and see how you live in the everyday stuff of life, how you follow Christ in the everyday stuff of life, that is where life change happens. And don't think that you need to have your life all together to do this, because understand that investing in others is going to force you to step up, it's going to force you to grow. As well. So be thinking through, as we as we talk through all of this here this week, be thinking through who can you invite into your life? Even with all the mess in our lives, who can you invite into your life and begin investing in spiritually? Now getting back to chapter 16, something that often trips people up. In verse 3, it says that Paul has Timothy circumcised. And I, I think at this point, given the context, it's easy to think. Uh, what? Wait a minute. Didn't the apostles just hold a Jerusalem council and decide that we don't have to follow the law, that we don't have to be circumcised to be saved? It almost seems like there's a contradiction here. You got chapter 15 with the Jerusalem council. And then in chapter 16, Paul is having Timothy circumcised. So what is going on? Understand that there's a difference here. There's a difference in context. The Jerusalem council was addressing the requirement of circumcision, requiring circumcision and following the law in order to be saved. There were some people saying that the Gentiles had to do these things for salvation. But remember, Timothy is already saved here. He's already a believer. So Paul has Timothy circumcised for the same reason that the apostles recommended that Gentile believers do things like avoid eating blood and avoid eating meat sacrificed to idols. He does it for evangelistic purposes because Paul knows that he always begins his missionary efforts. When he goes to a a new city, he always starts in a synagogue and he knows that having an uncircumcised Jew with him is going to make working with the Jews that much more difficult. Witnessing to the Jews will be much, much more difficult. So to say it simply, Paul didn't want to fight over non-essentials. He didn't want to bother with that. He wanted to remove all unnecessary barriers when it came to sharing the gospel. And so understand this is in no way regarding Timothy's salvation. Want to be clear on that. Paul makes it crystal clear in other places in scripture. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. This is for evangelistic purposes. Okay, So this is a different context, a different setting than what was discussed in the Jerusalem council. So just wanted to make that point because I know that can trip people up. So getting back to the journey here, Paul, Silas, and now Timothy, they head west on their journey, and then they make a turn toward the north. And again, I do encourage you to have a map nearby if, if possible. As you're reading through these different journeys, oftentimes the back of your Bible, the very back will have a map of Paul's missionary journeys, just a note. So they, they head west and then they make a turn toward the north because in chapter 16, verse 6, they were it says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they turn north and then they try to go to a region known as Bithynia. And this is where you can check your maps here. It's north of, of Asia Minor. But it says the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. That's verse 7 in chapter 16. The spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And that's a, that's a very interesting passage. Why would God prevent Paul and his team from going places? Because they're just trying to share the gospel. Now, we certainly don't know the mind of God. Okay, We have to ultimately trust his sovereignty. He's in control. And, and there could be various reasons we're not aware of. Maybe it was related to sparing Paul's life maybe another area was higher priority in that moment as we're, we're going to see here in a little bit that could have been the case but one thing to keep in mind and I'm not saying this was true in this particular case but oftentimes when Paul was unable to visit a specific city or region do you know what he would do instead he would write a letter he would write a letter And I'm sure in many, if not most of those cases, he would have rather visited in person instead of writing a letter. And I'm sure that at times that frustrated him in the moment. Paul seemed like he was a very type A personality, always on the move, always on the go. So for him to not be able to visit a region, I'm sure was frustrating. But guess what? Now we have Paul's letters preserved for all of history. And now all of us can read the words of Paul. So, again, in the moment, I'm sure it was very frustrating for Paul, but God had a bigger purpose. Now, again, I'm, I'm not saying that this was always the reason that God prevented Paul from traveling into certain regions. But the point here is that we have to trust God's bigger purposes. He sees the bigger picture even when we don't. Now, getting back to the story here, we're going to have to move a little bit quicker to get through everything. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they come to a city called Troas, and this is a port city, and it's there that Paul has a vision during the night, and this is known as the Macedonian call. He sees the vision of a man in Macedonia, which is a a region just across the Aegean Sea from Troas. Again, reference your map here. So, this would be like modern-day Greece. Macedonia is like modern-day Greece. And he sees a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over here, help us. So God seemed to lead Paul away from other areas and toward Macedonia. And So the next day they set sail and they land in Macedonia and they come to Philippi, which is a city in Macedonia. And this is where God opens Lydia's heart and she's, she's saved, she's baptized along with her family. And then Paul and Silas end up in prison in Philippi but they're miraculously saved. God delivers them. And then the jailer and his entire family are saved. And like we've said before in previous episodes, the gospel cannot be stopped. The gospel cannot be chained. After Philippi, they come to Thessalonica. They're only there for a few weeks. It says that Paul enters the synagogue for three consecutive Sabbaths. He goes into the synagogue, he teaches, he shares the gospel. And it does say that some of them were persuaded. So some people are saved, but the Jews get jealous, it says. They don't like what's, what's going on. And so they start rioting, and they drag some of the believers in front of a crowd. And so the believers send Paul and Silas away by night. They say, you've got to keep moving for your safety. So Paul and Silas, they come to Berea next. And the Jews in Berea are more open to hearing what they have to say. They're more open to hearing the gospel. And they they examine the scriptures to see if what Paul is saying matches up with with scripture. But the same Jews then who stirred up the crowds in Thessalonica, they follow Paul and Silas to Berea, and they stir up the crowds there as well. So then Paul is forced to move on. He goes on to Athens. And Paul sends Timothy back to, to check on the church in Thessalonica. And you can read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And Paul sends Timothy to, to get a report. Because remember, they were only able to be there for a short period of time. So he tells Timothy, go back and check on them, see how they're doing. And he also likely sends Silas to check on some of the other believers in other cities, such as Philippi. And Paul says to Timothy and Silas, meet me in Corinth and let me know what you find out. But first, Paul goes to Athens. And scholars think that Paul really starts to struggle here in Athens. This was a dark place. It was filled with with idols and shrines and temples. And at this point, he's alone. He's still waiting for Silas and Timothy to eventually join him. So this is a very difficult time for Paul. But he, he eventually makes his way down to Corinth, and he stays there for a year and a half, 18 months. This is one of his longer stays. And it's because, most likely, this is a very strategic location. There's a lot of trade that passes through Corinth. And we'll talk more about that when we get to the episodes on 1 Corinthians. But Paul's in Corinth for a while, and while he's there, he does meet up with Silas and Timothy. You can read about that in chapter 18, verse 5. And Timothy brings back a report from Thessalonica. He says the believers are doing well, but they have some questions. So Paul writes a couple of letters that we know as First and Second Thessalonians. He writes them probably about a year or so apart. And he writes them from Corinth, addressing questions and addressing some accusations made by false teachers. And so he writes First and Second Thessalonians during his second missionary journey. And we'll talk more about those letters later in the reading plan, but I just wanted to give you some. Context. I think it's helpful to have at least a little bit of historical context when it comes to reading Paul's letters. So Paul stays in Corinth for a while, and then he returns to Antioch at the end of his second missionary journey. Now, his third missionary journey begins in Acts chapter 18. And on this journey, he goes pretty much straight to the city of Ephesus. And it says in chapter 19 that Paul teaches daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And it says that he takes the disciples with him. He's taking other believers with him. Like we said, he always has people with him that he's investing in. And he does this for two years to the point where it says in chapter 19, verse 10, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now understand they're not talking about the entire continent of Asia here. This is Asia Minor, a region in the Roman Empire. This would be like modern-day Turkey. But we're still talking about millions of people, most likely. But it's not that Paul personally shared the gospel with, with all of these people. Okay, What he's doing, again, he's bringing other disciples with them, with him, and he's equipping them and sending them out into the surrounding regions. So Paul's strategy was never a one-man show. That was never his goal. He's always equipping others to continue and to to multiply his work. And there were likely many churches that were planted during this time as a result of Paul's work in Ephesus. So Ephesus was just like the the headquarters. It was the, the central point of disciple making. But then Paul is sending out these people into the surrounding regions to the point where all of Asia eventually hears the gospel. Now, while Paul is in Ephesus... Paul receives a report that the church in Corinth has some issues. Remember, he had spent a lot of time there. He had spent a year and a half there laboring over this church. And he hears that there are some issues going on. So he writes the letter that we know as 1 Corinthians. And he ends up having kind of a back and forth with the Corinthians a little bit. This is a very difficult time for Paul. But again, we'll talk more about that in detail when we get to the Corinthian episodes of the podcast when we get there in our reading plan. So just know that it was, it was a very difficult time and this is when Paul writes his his letters to the Corinthians. He writes 1 Corinthians from Ephesus and then at some point he moves on from Ephesus and he visits the regions of Macedonia and Achaia, so modern day Greece. And at some point there he writes the letter of 2 Corinthians. We don't know exactly where he was when he wrote it. But he, he sends the letter ahead of him and then he eventually visits Corinth himself again. And he spends the winter there. So, again, Paul writes 1 Corinthians from Ephesus, moves on. Then he writes 2 Corinthians, sends the letter ahead of him. And then he goes and visits Corinth. And he spends the winter there. And he has some time to think, he has some time to reflect on, on his ministry. And he begins to want to go west, he wants to expand his ministry. Remember the vision that God had given Paul was to take the gospel where it had never gone before. And so he writes from Corinth, the letter of Romans to the believers in Rome. He's trying to garner support. He's trying to unify the church there so that they can ultimately become his next base of missions. So you can think about Romans almost like a missionary support letter. A very good missionary support letter, I might add. But what he's trying to do is he wants to move his ministry west. Remember, Antioch up to this point has been kind of his home base. He wants to change that so that Rome becomes his home base and he can start reaching the western part of the empire. So he writes Romans from Corinth. And then he makes his way back to Jerusalem. Now, just to recap Paul's letters so far, because again, I think it can be helpful to have some context. Remember after Paul's first missionary journey, he writes Galatians. He hears that some false teachers have moved in behind him, and so he writes to address and to call out the Galatians for falling for a false gospel. Then during his second missionary journey, remember Paul writes 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and he writes that from Corinth, he wasn't able to be in Thessalonica very long, so he sends Timothy back to to check on the Thessalonians, and they're doing well, but they have some questions. So Paul addresses some of those questions and addresses some some other allegations made by, by false believers and various things. Then during his third missionary journey, he has a back and forth with the Corinthians while he's in Ephesus. He writes 1 Corinthians from there, He writes 2 Corinthians, maybe from Macedonia or from somewhere nearby there, sends it ahead of him, and then he follows the letter, visits Corinth himself in person. And while he's in Corinth, he has time to reflect during the winter, and he writes the letter of Romans then to prepare the way for him moving west. So that's that's just some basic context for you to help you kind of put Paul's letters in place. But then at this point, Paul goes back to Jerusalem, And he knows this is very dangerous. This is risky. But what he's been doing on this third missionary journey is he's been collecting an offering for the church in Jerusalem. Because at this point, the church in Jerusalem is struggling. There's a famine going on. And remember, this is where the gospel started. This was the original church, so to speak. So Paul wants to show them support. And he also wants to unify the Gentile and the Jewish believers. So what he's doing on this third missionary journey is he's collecting an offering from the the mostly Gentile believers as he travels around these different regions. He's collecting collecting an offering from them and he wants to take it back to to show support and, and unity in, in helping out the church in Jerusalem. So he goes back to Jerusalem to deliver the offering, and guess what? He's arrested. He's arrested, he's beaten, he's bound in chains. But that's where we'll pick up in the story next week. So as we close out, I want to focus on a passage in Acts chapter 20. This is when Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. And he visits the elders of the church in Ephesus one last time. And he knows that he'll likely never see these men again. And, and remember that he had spent a lot of time in Ephesus, okay? So he knows these people well. And he knows he's likely never going to see these people again, and he won't. He knows his life is in danger. And this is what he tells the Ephesian elders. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim... My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to complete the task Jesus has given to me. That's the, the determination, the focus that led Paul to, to carry forward, even when he was stoned, even when he was beaten and mocked and depressed. And I wonder how many of us can say the same thing about our lives. I consider my life worth nothing to me. I only want to finish the task God has given me. Is that what we can honestly say about our lives? Is Jesus and his kingdom your only aim? Or is he just another add-on, just another thing on the to-do list, so to speak? If you're being honest, would it be more appropriate for you to say about your life my life is worth everything to me. My only aim is to be comfortable and to pursue what I want. And understand, I'm saying this to myself as well. Okay, This applies to me too. But what I want us to do this week is to take some time, and I want us to reflect on this verse. Reflect on Acts chapter 20, verse 24. And what I encourage you to do is take your Bible, take a, a journal or a notebook or a notepad, And get alone. Get away from everything. We live in a world of constant noise and distraction. But be intentional about finding some solitude. And take some time to reflect on this passage. Consider how your life might need to change. Maybe you need to ask God to give you clarity in what he wants you to do. And what his vision is for your life. Maybe you need to repent of sin that you're clinging on to or things that you're putting in front of God, before God. Maybe you need to fully surrender to God for the first time. Maybe it's all of the above. But take some time this week to really reflect on Acts chapter 20, verse 24. The word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double edged sword, penetrating to the point of dividing soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It is life changing. So spend some time reflecting and meditating on God's word and ask God to change you as a result. I believe that is a prayer that God wants to answer. So I'll close with a quote from David Brainerd. He was a missionary to Native Americans in New England in the 1700s. And this is what he prayed. He said, Lord, let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. I care not where I go or how I live or what I endure so that I may save souls. Let that be our prayer as well. May God use us in ways that are utterly disproportionate to who we are for his glory.